Welcome to Sober Nation FM, a podcast network dedicated to sharing experience, strength, and hope so that you may continue to live your best life of recovery. The Sober Podcast Network is brought to you by Sober Nation. Do you want to live a healthy, sober life? Sober Nation is the world's leading online recovery community. Find support, resources, stories of hope, and even an online treatment program at SoberNation.com. Live a happy life. Be comfortable in your skin and join the recovery movement. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. Now enjoy today's episode. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Anthony Alvarado coming back at you for the third episode of 2017 on Rise and Grind Recovery Radio. It has been absolutely phenomenal to kick this year off. We've had some awesome interviews, but also, you know, really taking a look at changing the conversation around mental illness and addiction. To some extent, we're out there for you. Each and every one of you guys, I know I've had so many people uh, come up to me and ask me, oh, hey man, how can I get involved? What can I do? Um, how can I share my story? And I thought, well, why don't I just put together this really cool podcast to answer a lot of those questions? And we've been able to do that over the last several weeks. We kicked this Rise and Grind Recovery Radio off not too long ago, and we've really been able to feature stories of recovery. We've been also to be able to talk about advocacy by inviting um, advocates and leaders from all over the nation. And then we've also been able to invite anyone who's really just passionate to uh, make a difference in their community. We've had people share stories of loss. We've had people share stories of triumph, of change, of great passion and great purpose. We've heard people bear their soul and also talk about, you know, how they were able to to make those changes in their life. And that has provided a resource back out to our community. I know there's people that are listening in on this podcast and they find the resources and the suggestions helpful. They are getting involved with some of the organizations uh, that we're mentioning. Uh, They're supporting what we're doing at Rise Together. They're also using this in the community to help bring hope back to those that are hopeless, which I think is truly phenomenal. I know I have people coming up to me and saying, hey, you know, uh, I've been listening to your your show for the last uh, few weeks, and I just want to thank you. It encourages me on my morning drive or when I'm at the gym, or I'm able to give this to somebody that I know that's struggling. That's what it's about. I mean, sure, yes, all the interviews and all the people that we've had on, great amount of respect. But the fact that it's actually making a difference in somebody's life is truly phenomenal. And uh, we look to continue to do that over 2017. Uh, the first episode of this year was with Mr. Greg Williams of Facing Addiction. And then last week, we had the CEO of Shatterproof, Gary Mendel, on. Go check out those um, podcasts. And this week, we have Tom Coderre, which is a truly phenomenal humble soul that was able to grace us with his presence on this week's episode. We're able to talk about a lot of different things. Uh, We're able to cover topics of um, 
what his story is, what his story of recovery is, how he got to a point where addiction brought him to his knees during the time of being a state senator, and then moving forward, asking for help, gaining access to treatment, starting to go to traditional support groups, making those small, obtainable goals possible, small steps forward, one day at a time kind of conversation. And then that led him to his uh, passion and purpose for over 10 years of his life. He was able to continue to get involved in the addiction recovery um, movement and within the community. He was also able to serve his community, and he did that in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, initially he started out as a political field director. He did that for uh, just about a year, and then he moved into a national field director's position with Faces and Voices of Recovery. And then he also moved into a chief of staff office of the Senate president. And then he just retired his position with SAMHSA, where he was an individual of leadership, chief of staff of SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, which is part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, where he served his time and really able to share with us those moments that he's most proud of, from the U.S. Surgeon General's report to being able to provide conversation, structure, and development around creating systematic change and then being able to address culture, support those in recovery, influence policymakers, and ultimately take a generation of 10-plus years and make a huge impact all across the United States with some amazing team members throughout the organizations that he worked with. And we talk about how that work has been able to you know, help save lives, but in part we also talked about how it also helped to save his life. It did change his life forever, and it started with that small moment of asking for help. And from there, some unbelievable, uncomprehendable things happened in Tom's life, and he's able to share that with us here at Rise and Grind Recovery Radio. And you'll also be able to figure out where he's going next, which is a really interesting response, and I like it. Growth, development, work-life balance is something that's important to me, and it's also important to him. So please tune in. Check out this week's interview, Rise and Grind Recovery Radio with Tom Coderre, Chief of Staff, or used to be Chief of Staff at the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, also known as SAMHSA. Also, if you want to go ahead and support Rise and Grind Recovery Radio, I do have to give a shout-out to those that already have, but also if you want to get involved and do that as well, you can just go to weallrisetogether.org, and you can check out um, our donate section. You can actually donate to the show through Patreon. It's a really simple, easy um, way to support uh, this advocacy measure. Um, also, to be able to extend this message across the nation and throughout our local communities is extremely important. Like I said in the beginning, it does help uh, individuals give them hope, also give them guidance, give them resources, also let them know how they can get involved. And we need to keep this momentum going, not just for us, but for the recovery movement as a whole. Let's go ahead and you know support individuals that are going out there and making a difference. We absolutely cannot do it without you. So again, just go to weallrisetogether.org. Also, if you want to join our Rise Together Nation, all you have to do is text um, the word RISE, R-I-S-E. Again, that's the word RISE, to telephone number 44144. 
44. Again, to join the Rise Together Nation, all you got to do is text 44144, and that's the word rise. All right, so let's get ready for the interview with Tom Coderre. Thank you so much. Looking to bring a positive message to your next event? Contact Air and Allies. Air and Allies specializes in bringing entertainment to recovery events, daytime music events, and family-friendly community events. Air and Allies also specializes in bringing artists who bring a positive message to reinforce a better lifestyle to events like Mile of Music. Air and Allies can also help you plan and organize your event to make it successful. To learn more about making your event successful and feature a positive message, email Air and Allies at airandallies at gmail.com or look for the link on this podcast. Are you looking to prevent drug use throughout your community? Rise Together is a national movement that is helping to educate and spread awareness on mental health and addiction. After traveling 100,000 miles and speaking to over 120,000 young people in just three years, they currently have one of the best school speaking programs in the world. They are now available for school seminars, event speaking, motivational workshops, public panels, and even corporate trainings. Contact them now by visiting www.weallrisetogether.org. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Anthony Alvarado from Rise and Grind Recovery Radio, and I just want to thank all of our audience members out there for tuning in every single week. You can find all the episodes at weallrisetogether.org. Again, that's weallrisetogether.org. This show is doing fantastic. Tons of people are reaching out saying thank you for giving us some answers. I mean, a lot of people are reaching out to us, um, hey man, I wanna get involved. I wanna go ahead and share my story. I wanna learn how I can help change my community. And Rise and Grind and Recovery Radio is helping to bring some of those resources to the forefront, uh, to communities all across the nation. So please feel free to plug in. This will be our third episode going into the new year. And it is fantastic to have Mr. Tom Coderre in the studio with us today. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Anthony. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast and congratulations on uh, all the success you're having. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I know it's been a little bit of time since we've seen each other, since uh, out in Denver uh, for the National Leadership Conference, and now moving into 2017. I'm hoping we get a chance to cross paths. I actually will be flying out to Washington, D.C. as of tomorrow. So who knows? Maybe we'll even cross paths out there. That would be great. I would love that. Uh, I've missed seeing you since uh, last summer, and although... One of the great things about the recovery community, it's kind of small, it's kind of intimate, uh, so we all stay in touch in some way or the other, uh, usually through Facebook or other social media platforms. Absolutely, and I have to say, when I got a chance to see you speak, I, I think the way that you went at um, telling your story and, and sharing with the community and even infusing music into it, uh, just a phenomenal talent. So I just I have to give you some props because I love speaking. I've been traveling uh, quite a bit over the last three years, been on stage over 400 times, and your approach is something that I've never seen before, and I think, I think that's really unique. Well, thank you. Uh, I always try to find ways to make the work that we're doing as interesting and as exciting as, as, as our lives become in recovery. And, uh, you, know, when we, you know, I'm oftentimes uh, talking about government or politics or advocacy, and frequently those things are not the most exciting topics in the world. So you've got to find ways to spice it up. Spice it up. That's right. That's right. Maybe do a, a mic drop in there or, you know, you know whatever you want to do. I mean, if, if POTUS can do it, uh, so can you. <laughs> but, hey, you know, actually, why don't we just start right there? A lot of our audience members, they love to hear, you know, um, 
they love the leadership and the advocacy and talking about, you know, how to influence your policymakers and, you know, how to make a difference, how to share your story on a localized level. But um, most importantly, I think uh, they want to learn about who is on the interview. Like, what makes you you? Like, what is your story? So um, why don't we start there? What is your story and how did you get started into dedicating some of your time into the addiction recovery community? Well, thanks so much for asking. Um, my story is like a lot of people's stories. You know, I had uh, this wonderful, amazing um, life, uh, but at the same time I was struggling uh, with alcohol and other drugs. And eventually uh, those substances brought me to my knees. They caused me to lose everything I cared about, um, including my uh, family. When they tried to help me, I resisted their help and pushed them away. Uh, my friends, um, I was an executive director of a nonprofit agency in Providence, Rhode Island. I lost that job. Um, at a very young age, I got elected to the state senate in Rhode Island. So I was a state senator for eight years, uh, something that I thought I cared about deeply, and uh, it was not even strong enough. Uh, my addiction penetrated that as well, and it caused me to lose that. So I got into recovery, fortunately, after struggling for several years back in 2003, uh, May 15th of 2003 is my, uh, the, my, my, the date of, uh, that I recognize as my recovery date yeah. and my anniversary date. And um, from that point forward, you know, the story really changed a great deal, you know. Uh, and that's not unique either. That's the story of a lot of people in this country. Mm-hmm. When they find recovery, things change for them. And um, that, uh, on that day, uh, May 14th, 2003, um, I remember getting arrested for the second time, being picked up on a warrant Mm. for noncompliance with provisions of my bail. And on May 15th, I was actually sitting in a jail cell in Cranston, Rhode Island, um, thinking my life was over. And the bottom line is, is that really was the very beginning of my life, Mm -hmm. uh, my my new life. And so I got into... Uh, a treatment program eventually, uh, court-ordered to a treatment program, uh, got access to the help that I needed, you know, treatment, uh, recovery, support services. Uh, I started attending 12-step meetings, started, you know, socializing with other people in recovery, and uh, slowly but surely uh, that cloud lifted. You know, they, uh, I, you know, I got into recovery, I was 132 pounds, and I couldn't put two words together to make a sentence. Uh, I was a very badly broken human being at that point in time. And thanks uh, to, the, to this uh, treatment process and recovery support services, um, I was able to regain those things that I lost to active addiction. Um, the biggest thing I regained uh, was my passion and, and, you know, and, and zeal for life uh-huh. itself. Uh, as a former state senator, you can imagine... You know, I was, uh, I enjoyed politics, I enjoyed advocacy, I enjoyed that stuff. When I got into recovery, I didn't think I'd be able to do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Again, because of my, you know, my arrest and the, the very humiliating experiences and the shame that I had around my addiction. Uh, but I got connected with an organization called RICARES, Rhode Island Communities for Addiction Recovery Efforts. That's a recovery community organization back in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And I uh, actually, I attended... This is a, a kind of a cool story. Um, I attended their very first meeting when I was in treatment. No kidding. And so 
some of my friends had been going to the meetings, and they said, hey, Tom, you got to go to this meeting uh, uh, tonight. And I said, why do I have to go to this meeting tonight? He said, well, number one, it gets you out of having to go to the 12-step meeting. And number two, they serve pizza. <laughs> nice. So, Can't go wrong with pizza. So, <laughs> no. So, you know, after eating treatment food for a while, that sounded really attractive to me. <laughs> Absolutely. And, <laughs> and so I went to the meeting, and I heard about all the great things they were doing in terms of recovery advocacy and public policy. I heard that they were running a legislative day. Um, I raised my hand, and I said, I actually used to be in the legislature. <laughs> and they're like, you? No. <laughs> get no. out of here. Just get yeah, some exactly. pizza. <laughs> Definitely not you. And, really? uh, and, and so uh, I joined that legislative day committee. One, you know, eventually I ended up going back to the state house where I once served, and I stood under our big marble dome, and I screamed from the top of my lungs that I was a person in long-term recovery. Yes. Um, and, and this is kind of the journey that I've been on since then. I got to go and work for Faces and Voices of Recovery in Washington, D.C. a couple of years later. Uh, I got to travel around the country for two years, helping to build grassroots recovery community organizations, just like RICARES, the one that had yeah. uh, introduced me to this work. Um, I, after that, I do an effort two years. Uh, a former colleague of mine in the state Senate, who had been following my recovery journey, uh, got elected Senate president. And she asked me to come back and be her chief of staff. So talk about your life coming yeah. full circle in recovery. Uh, that, I, I went back. I was her chief of staff for six legislative sessions, six years. Oh, that's, and, that's amazing. Yeah, it, was a, it, was, I mean, it was an amazing experience. And I got to, you know, and I got to see things from a staff's perspective, number one, and I had been used to seeing it from a member's perspective. But number two, the, you know, the Senate uh, really cared about, uh, they cared about addiction recovery issues, just like me. So I was mm -hmm. able to work on some of those issues when I was there. Yeah, I couldn't I, even imagine. I mean, you, in the beginning of the story, is just you were completely broken, you know, in a jail cell. And here you are, yeah. a state senator. And then I can't, I mean, just the, maybe the shame and the guilt and kind of this hopelessness that probably very often consumed you at that point in your life. And then to start taking some small steps forward and actually... Well, that's the, that's really the thing. I mean, and uh, I didn't have, and I, I talk about this a lot, I didn't have, the, those opportunities did not happen overnight. They happened over time, Yeah. right? They happened because I continued to go from a horizontal position every day to a vertical one and put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> That's why it happened. And for, and for me and for like so many of us in recovery, the beginning of the journey uh, is difficult. It's challenging. Um, you want to give up sometimes. And Absolutely. I always encourage people to stick with it, that you have absolutely no idea uh, the opportunities you're going to be afforded in your life as a result of your recovery if you stay on this path, if you, if you to continue that. to do yeah. the things that, you know, that, you're, that you're required to do. You know, I had the same conversation I just did uh, last week. I did a story. Um, it was a statewide story here in Wisconsin. It has a distribution of like 10 different papers. And it was the kids in crisis conversation that we have around mental health in Wisconsin. Yeah. And then they were also extending that message and that investigation around um, substance use disorder and addiction. So they wanted a father's perspective and somebody that's in long-term recovery. So they came to me and they asked me some of those same things. And, you know, it, I said almost... 
almost something identical where it was like, you know, there's different points of your life um, and there's different points of even in your recovery that can be quite difficult. And there are moments where you do absolutely feel like giving up, right? I mean, there's even yep. things that I think about uh, that are going on uh, this in the last couple months. So, for example, uh, my father is in the hospital right now and he just went in over the weekend. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it, it, I, that's actually part of the reason why I started the show and, and just to kind of talk about some of those um, I don't know, frustrations, difficulties, challenges, how we're overcoming those challenges as a family, and then also providing some of that hope back out to other families that I know that are mm. struggling. And I know over the last few months, there's been moments where I was like, man, no matter what we seem to be doing, it doesn't seem like he's getting much better, right? And mm. there's moments where it's like, oh, or, you know, I, I kind of feel like giving up. This is really difficult. This is yeah. really, really hard. But... You know, even in those moments, just like in our own individual recovery, I think we surround ourselves with people that have lived experience or similar experiences. We get support. Maybe we have faith. We go to a mentor, go to some kind of peer support. We have some of our own remedy, right? And we can we can pick ourselves back up and get your face out of the arena, if you will, and actually keep fighting, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important, Anthony, uh, and for the, anyone who's listening to this podcast who may feel like you know, you're not making the kind of progress you need to make or should be making or could be making, um, step back and just think, hey, maybe I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be at this moment. Um, and I, I had somebody say that to me early in recovery. I was like, oh, my God, don't, don't even talk <laughs> don't to me. I don't even want to talk to you. Meet them where they're at. They're like, yeah, I mean, they're like, this is this is kind of an important realization, right? Like, in the first three years of my recovery, I did not have any stability in employment. And that drove me crazy because I was, I was a former state senator. I was an executive director of a nonprofit. I was used to being busy. Yeah. I, was a community, I was a community activist. I had been involved in the JCs. I had done all this work. And um, here I am, uh, you know, thinking that my life was going to be like, you know, this uh, endless cycle of, of therapy sessions and treat, treatment, uh, <laughs> you know, treatment and psychosocial services and 12-step meetings. And you know what? That's exactly what my life needed to be at that moment. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if I had had a job, if I had had uh, all these other things happening in my life, I wouldn't take the time that I need to recover, and I wouldn't have built this solid foundation upon which this amazing uh, structure could be built afterwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And even that's some of the difficulties my, my father's actually challenged with uh, today. You know, he wants he wants a home. Uh, he wants mm. to further his employment. He wants a, a relationship with a significant other, he, like live with somebody for the rest of his life. Um, you know, and unfortunately, he's had some challenges. He's in a nursing home at, you know, 51 years old. And with all that being said, um, there's a process in play, right? Treatment, behavioral yep. therapy, all those things yep. need to happen. And without taking those steps, you would never be able to like even understand that importance early in the game, right? So you have that hindsight yeah. now where you're like, no, those are the little things that I needed to do at that time um, that were important in my life, just like you said. And But when you when you hear that from somebody, you're kind of like, come on, man. <laughs> like, exactly. I had this important exactly. position. I had all these things going on in my life. I was active in the community and, you know, maybe there was some, I felt respected and now yeah. I'm, I'm 
going out and, you know, doing things that are really uncomfortable. And ultimately I'm fearful of change. Like what is, what is this new life of sobriety? I mean, besides uh, what are people going to think of me? Right. And those things become really difficult in a culture that typically, um, well, in a general state accepts, you know, getting high or drinking. Right. Well, the other, well, yeah, there's that. And then the other part is that there's, like um, people, the culture in general is not always honest about their circumstances, <laughs> right? right? I mean, but, you know, when I, when I got into recovery, uh, I heard this little thing called honesty, like I had to be rigorously honest, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm a former politician. I'm not used to being rigorously <laughs> honest. <laughs> How am I going to practice that principle? But, but, when you, but when you look at it, when you, you, know, when you drill down, you're like, yeah, that's going to be critically important because somebody said to me, hey, you've got a lot of evidence uh, sitting like right at your doorstep. This is like all the wreckage of your active addiction, right? Mm-hmm. How's that working for you? Yes. You, know, that's, that, you know, maybe you should try to do something a little different. Maybe you should slow down. Maybe you should dedicate, you know, a year to your recovery. You know, this, mm-hmm. you know, you're hearing 12-step programs all the time, do 90 meetings in 90 days. You know, that's really to get you focused, right? It's to get you, get you into a position where you're really paying attention and developing a foundation upon which something could be built. Absolutely. And that's really important. No, that is really important. So you, you're getting this moment, you're in recovery, and then you start dedicating your uh, time back to the community. You become a, you know, field director in Rhode Island that transitions. You're a national field director with uh, Faces and Voices of Recovery. You do that for a couple years. And then, and then what happens next? Well, I went back to the state Senate to be the chief of staff to the Senate president. I did that for six years. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, um, after six years, uh, a friend of mine who worked in the uh, Obama administration uh, asked me if I would ever consider coming to work in the administration. And I hadn't really thought about it. I had never given it any thought. I never imagined that that would even be a possibility or some type of opportunity uh, mm-hmm. for me. And uh, eventually, after I first was resistant, and I said, oh, I already have a job. I'm really busy. I can't do that. <laughs> and uh, he encouraged me to go through the process. He said, hey, you never know where it's going to go. You know, you may never get offered a position, but why don't you apply? Why don't you just put your name forward mm-hmm. and go through the process? And uh, I did that, and back in um, July of 2014, I got the call uh, from the White House saying, we want you to come, we want you to come work uh, as a senior policy person at SAMHSA, at the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, which is one of the 11 operational divisions of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, so that was, talk about a pinch me moment, you know, yeah. when, when, and I, Describe these as those moments when you have to pinch yourself to make sure you're not dreaming. <laughs> I, I had one. Of, I had one of those that day. Um, I was like, "This is not possible." Uh, you know, twelve years ago, eleven years ago, I was sitting in a jail cell in Cranston, Rhode Island, thinking my life was over. Now I get to go work for the President of the United States. I get to work um, on addiction recovery policy issues that I care so deeply about, that I'm so passionate about. That there's such um, a need for in this country at the moment, uh, this is amazing. Uh, and, and that's how that journey started. 
That is absolutely amazing. And congratulations. I mean, just Thank to you. be able to step forward and, and one, just be in recovery and then to scream that on the top of your lungs and have that transition take place and really take the time to work on yourself and then uh, find ways to become a servant leader. I mean, that's really how I see you. And, and that's part of the reason why we connected, you know, as yeah. leaders across the nation and be able to look, you know, at other individuals that really care passionately about these topics. And, you know, with that being said, I know there's a lot of people that are behind our effort here in the Midwest and, you know, they want to learn like, what can we do next? How can, why does advocacy matter? And that's part of the reason why I invited you on, on today's interview too. So I know that's, kind of a wide question but why yeah. why does why do you care so passionately about community awareness and advocacy what is it that makes you tick well for me you know for me it's seeing injustice right it's seeing it's seeing something that's wrong and wanting to make it right again um, that's part of it the other part is you know, people in recovery have this uh, they have this real interest and real commitment to giving back to what's been given to them uh, so because I have received this unmerited gift, I want as many other people as possible to have it as well. Because I know it's available to us all, right? Mm-hmm. Recovery is possible for everyone. And so I want to make sure uh, not only that uh, when somebody needs to go to a detox uh, that they don't get told there's a six-month waiting list uh, right. or go to treatment and they can't get in because their insurance doesn't take <clears throat> you know, because they, they can't use their insurance, or that there's not a uh, that there's not a, a slot for people who are indigent, um, mm-hmm. or when somebody goes and applies for a job and they have something on their record uh, that's a result of their active addiction, uh, and 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 they don't get judged for the person that they are today, not the person that they used to be. Those are injustices. Those are things that I really believe need to change, and I think they're wrong. I think it's wrong that only one person out of ten who meets the criteria for a substance use disorder in this country, actually has access uh, to treatment in a specialty care facility, uh, evidence-based treatment, treatment that, that, uh, that matches their needs. I think that's wrong. So mm-hmm. that's what makes me tick. That's what get, makes me get up every morning, uh, that, at least for the last two and a half years, that's what made me get up every morning uh, and work as hard as I could uh, in this federal administration to advance uh, public policies uh, that changed those injustices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't, uh, I can't help but to think about some of the parallels or the verticals with the passion that I'm finding in my life with mm. going out in the community and just looking at um, there's a reality even from a youth prevention standpoint and looking at my children, for example, as a father. You know, I have a daughter yeah. and I have a son, and I know that's because of family history it, with mental could illness. Could I say something to you? Yeah. It, it is so wonderful. Uh, so you and I are Facebook friends, and it's so wonderful <laughs> when uh, it pops up on my feed, pictures of you with your kids. That is like, I mean, it brings such a smile to my face yes. to see you, you know, really being like the number one dad, you know, to be this really cool dad um, yeah. who's, who's embracing them and loving them and being in their life, uh, you know, with a passion uh, that they're gonna. That's really gonna mean something to them. Uh, it's really gonna help them become uh, the people that they uh, eventually will become. Thank you so much. I yeah. I pray and I hope for those moments because I know even like my daughter. I think she's just starting to figure out. You know, um, 
if anything, and, and my sons too. I mean, he, they both know uh, the work that I do and how it's important, but they're just starting mm. to understand it. But I don't think they even realize like how much of an impact it's actually making on their lives and really looking at how to, you know, serve your community, how to, you know, care for others and be compassionate for those that are struggling that are struggling whether they're in your friend group or not like when they walk down the hallways yep. they can be that like cultural leader if you will and say you know we're not going to judge them because they're struggling with cutting or burning or anxiety or depression or maybe they struggle with drugs like my my son right now i know he has been um a leader within his own friend group where he's helped to like give people support and listens to them and awesome. you know connects them um to me or you know i i talk to his friend's parents sometimes uh, that might be struggling and he's just building those gaps uh, like or bridging those gaps naturally and uh, but most importantly i think i show up every day you know what i mean yeah and right I, there's a reality as a parent that uh, there's probably a lot of us out there gonna say the same thing i really don't know what i'm doing <laughs> as a parent but at the same time like, up, yeah. i show up and uh Thank you for that, because those well, those guys who, are amazing. Who's, who's quote, there's a famous quote about that, that showing up in life is like 90%. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's I, a, a <laughs> very famous quote about that. But 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 I, I like what you just said, uh, because, you know, I was thinking about, you're saying, okay, your son is starting to model some of the behavior, you know, that you're, um, you know, he's, he's modeling behavior that you're using with him, right? Yeah. Uh, and... You know, it doesn't matter if you go and work for the president of the United States on federal addiction recovery policy um, or you're modeling good behavior in your local community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone's not going to or something in between. Everyone's not going to, you know, be on one end of the spectrum or the other. We're all going to be somewhere somewhere on the spectrum, though. Mm-hmm. And we and there's something that each of us can do. Um, you, you said that a lot of your listeners ask you what actions they can take. Well, you know, why is advocacy important? Well, for me, the first thing I did um, was tell my personal story publicly. That was that was the first thing I had. That's the only thing I had, really, is my story. And um, so I was willing. Uh, and for those of us who make it makes sense for us to do it, um, I was willing to tell my story publicly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, and 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 that really is important because there's still a lot of negative public attitudes about addiction and about recovery. There's still a lot of misunderstanding about it. People, people see a lot of people who are struggling. They don't always see the people who are getting well. So for those of us who it makes sense to do it, please tell your story. That's at a very bare minimum something that you can do on an advocacy, from an advocacy perspective that's going to help move the ball down the field. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I picture a world that, like, even when I'm in front of these uh, teens and you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers especially, I always think, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if I could take what we're creating here at this educational seminar or this workshop or however we're engaging that community. And I see, you know, there's thousands and thousands of students stand up every year and they really uh, tell their, share their story in part, whether right. it's with us one on one or if they're just standing up with like 800 of their peers and saying, yes, this is a problem in our community and something needs to change. I was like, wouldn't it be amazing if I could help every single student across the country take that same, same stance? Like mm. if every single teenager across the country spoke out about the issues that they care about, think about the changes that could 
happen within that community. And all communities look different, of course, and all stories are going to sound different. But what I'm finding, and there's a commonality between every community that I serve. And people want to be heard, you know, and ultimately do want to be loved. And they don't want to be judged. And it's... It's unfortunate to find that in, in most um, youth communities, there is a gap that we're discovering around a lack of compassion. And it's not the easiest thing to, you know, educate youth and help them to develop compassion. But one of the ways that you can do that is by being open enough and honest enough to share your story. Because then people get it, right? To the, some extent, they yeah. understand it's relatable and they well, see that they're not that's alone. That's the point, yeah, yeah, that's the point. I mean, it's relatable, right? People, uh, when we share our stories uh, with others, that's, that's what creates human connection. That's mm-hmm. how humans are able to connect with each other uh, in a meaningful way. Um, I feel like, you know, the people, you know, I've shared my story just like you have lots and lots, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and we speak in these big rooms full of people, uh, and invariably, after we're done, people come up to us and they want to touch us, right? They want to give yeah. us a hug, they want to <laughs> give us a handshake. They want to, you know, they really, you know, because they've connected. And, and that's like the most human, like basic human instinct. And if we can have, if we can have, if we can have that uh, ripple effect, right? Like you said, maybe, you know, maybe it's your goal to, to get every uh, high school student in America to do something. Right, and if that's your goal, that's great. I, I think that's an, an admirable, laudable goal. Um, you can actually do that, and that ripple effect of that human connection that will get created uh, in high schools across America would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if you just start in the Midwest or the West, wherever you want to, wherever you want to begin it, uh, <laughs> I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll grow and spread because it sounds like a really cool idea. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I have to thank you, too. I know you uh, kicked over some information. Uh, there was a, a report that you sent over to me about addressing social norms and, you know, addressing mm-hmm. culture. And really, that was in the conversation of, you know, how to address uh, social stigma or the attitudes, beliefs um, around substance use disorders or uh, mental illness. And in part... Yep. Um, it talks about a lot of uh, community awareness and advocacy. You know, even for us, I can't help but to look at some of the things, how our world that we live in today can help address some of these huge topics and help not only share your story, but also get involved on a localized level. So, I mean, you look at, like, social social media or, you know, yeah. even influencing mass media and sharing your story with local lo- local news, right? And then you take a look at local community events or you look at uh, different grassroots projects. And, man, maybe there's a specific program that you get involved in or there's maybe there's a program that you create, right? Right. And right. then outside of that, like, um, you know, on a deeper approach, you know, for us, like research and evaluation and what kind of impact are you really making on that community? Um, and for us, it's, you know, specifically more youth but regardless i think in part where we started just like you started you can share your story so outside of that what are some of the things um, that you can look back at in regards to your position with samsha Um, what are some of the things that you really just want to highlight throughout that experience with them well i mean the social norms project uh, was was one of those things that um, was very very important uh, for samsha and for our principal deputy administrator uh, because I think she knew, you know, we could we could put all the money on the street we want for all the grant programs. We can get all the people treatment that we want. Uh, but if we don't go upstream, you know, there's this great uh, fable. You, you're probably familiar with it. It's about about the 
the town that had the river running through it. And one day, uh, babies started floating down the river. And the townspeople were, they had no idea why, but of course they jumped in the river and they started plucking the babies out one at a time. Hmm. Um, and they did this day after day after day, but more babies kept floating down the river. Until one of the wise old townspeople heard about what has hap- was happening, went down to the banks of the river to see it for himself, and he said, why doesn't somebody go upstream and find out where the babies are coming from? And they went upstream, mm-hmm. and they found out there was an ogre throwing the babies in the river. They killed the ogre, and guess what? No more babies floating down the river. Mm-hmm. And we have to do the same thing. We have to go upstream and find out, like, okay, you know, and, and I know that a lot of the work that you do in prevention is just that, right? It's going upstream. It's getting to, getting to kids before they develop you know, a substance use disorder, when they're just maybe experimenting with use or having harmful uh, effects of use, and that's really critically important. But we got to do that on the, on the social norm side. we got to do it with, you know, on the evidence-based treatment side. we got to do it in so many different areas of the field um, that, that it's so, so that we can make, make a bigger impact. Uh, right now, I think, you know, we're doing, we're doing some amazing things, but there's so much more that needs to be done. Now, at SAMHSA, my biggest projects were, the biggest one I worked on was the Surgeon General's report on alcohol, drugs, and health. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new report that was issued in November uh, by Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, uh, which uh, is called Facing Addiction in America, a Surgeon General's report on alcohol, drugs, and health. And it's comprised of five really important chapters, the neurobiology of addiction, prevention, treatment, recovery, and health systems integration. And... What that report really does is it looks at the science in each of these areas and says, what is the best available science? What do we know about the brain? What do we know about what keeps uh, people from starting to use in the first place? Or if they start to have a problem, how do we, how do we intervene early um, and often? Uh, how, what are the best treatment models available? And how do people uh, across this country um, recover uh, if, they, if they have a substance use disorder? And then what is, what is it that health systems can be doing? Um, right now, you know, we know that primary care and hospitals and emergency rooms um, aren't equipped in prime, you know, primary care physicians specifically who are seeing patients on a daily basis who have substance use disorders aren't referring out. You know, they're not, they're not trained. They don't know enough about it. So how can, how can we integrate the systems better so that we're cross-training, where um, that insurance coverage is available to docs who do referrals, um, and, and so much more in that area. We don't have a lot of time to no. get into it on the podcast, yeah. but, but you know what I'm talking about. There's, so this report, which was launched, is a seminal document. It's historic. It's the first time a Surgeon General has ever spoken out about addiction and recovery uh, in this way, and SAMHSA was the lead agency uh, for the report, and I got to work uh, very closely with the team of scientists and editors uh, and contractors and other SAMHSA staff and staff throughout the federal government, throughout HHS, uh, to put this report together. Very, very important document, and I think it's going to guide us uh, for a long time to come. That was my probably uh, my most important thing that I did at SAMHSA. I mean, I did a lot of other stuff. I worked, uh, I worked with the White House, with ONDCP, our, our great, good friend Michael Botticelli, mm-hmm. so many things. Um, I worked uh, with our friends in Congress. I helped and our stakeholders to create a stronger SAMHSA. Um, I was able to uh, 
know, really be part of something amazing. You know, I don't know if you saw the 21st Century Cures Act passed, though, in, in December, and the president signed it into law. Yep. That not only included um, a reauthorization for SAMHSA and an elevation of the work that they're doing in mental health and, and addiction recovery, uh, but included a billion dollars, the largest expansion in a very long time of treatment, uh, you know, for opioid use disorder to address the crisis that we have going on in our country right now and the, and the epidemic uh, of overdose deaths that we're seeing. So, you know, responding to those community problems, to the things that are on, on everybody's mind, um, government doesn't always do that quickly. But SAMHSA had that funding opportunity announcement on the street 20, within 24 hours of that bill being signed. Uh, so states are getting their applications together. February 17th is the deadline. Uh, that money will be on the street in, in, in the spring uh, mm-hmm. to expand treatment. You know, we talked about that number, one in ten people getting the treatment that they need. This money will help uh, narrow that gap a little. And there, it's it's so great. I want to stop you there because we were on uh, last week's episode and we were talking mm-hmm. for Gary Mendel from Shatterproof and we we're talking about advocacy and me and Nadine, our program manager, we we're talking about like huge wins that were happening. Uh, and mm-hmm. part of it was like on a national level, you have the, you know, the Cures Act and, you know, rolling out a billion dollars to really help support, you know, uh, a majority of it going into treatment and then even looking at preventative aspects. And then even for the state of Wisconsin, uh, Governor Scott Walker and Representative John Nigren were able to announced that they're going to be able to allot uh, an investment into our communities to support recovery support services and peer services, um, over $12 million worth of support, which is somewhat new for the Midwest, especially here in Wisconsin, which I believe is one of the leading states in the United States that's really looking at the addiction epidemic, um, specifically more around opiates and, and heroin. But regardless, like that momentum I mean, the U.S. Surgeon General's report, you got the top doc in the nation addressing, you know, a lot of these uh, concerns and, and, and doing it in such a way that people can actually take that information and use it in their own community. I think that's that in part is the education that our communities absolutely need, because far too often people are like, man, this is such a huge topic. How do we really address this? How do we go well, about and, this? And, and this gives guidance. Done. Yeah. People frequently don't know what's being done. And, and you know, we're doing we're moving at uh, you know light lightning pace here with all these things that are coming out at once. I mean, these are things that we've been fighting for for a decade or more, mm-hmm. and for all of it to kind of come together in a very meaningful way at the end of this administration is something uh, amazing and something uh, that we all worked really, really hard for and are very proud of. And you should be, and you should be, and you know, you're taking a look at how, you know, that is really impacting communities. Everybody's, you know, uniting and continuing to build momentum, and I believe that is very important, and I'm sure you would agree. You know, we've we've come to this point, and, you know, I've only been in the game for the last couple of years, really, and I absolutely love, you know, the advocacy that we've been able to do, but, you know, like you said, you know, for the last 10 years or even longer, you know, 20 years, you know, there's been... Um, uh, momentum that's slowly been building and finally some of that is coming to fruition and really addressing this and helping to ultimately save lives and that Definitely. is is helping to even you know take care of our next generation of leaders and i can't you know stress enough when i see you know two children growing up in our community it does pain my heart knowing and even other students that i meet that if they ask for help about you know a mental um, a mental illness or around maybe addiction, uh, they probably wouldn't receive that help. 
And maybe with some of these changes, now they're going to be able to see some of those resources. Maybe there's more programs in schools. There's better preventative efforts going on in the community. There's more community awareness. There's actually conversations and a transformation happening at home over the dinner table. And people are able to talk about this publicly on a consistent basis. And it's not filled with, like, shame and guilt. And you're really helping to eliminate, um, you know, some of those concerns around being judged, you know, in our community. And just, what? Asking for help well, I mean, and taking absolutely. that first step. And then when you ask for the help, you actually can receive it. Well, the Comprehensive Addiction Recovery Act is another and something else that passed last uh, summer um, that's going to help provide more opportunities for people on, you know, for prevention, treatment, and recovery. Uh, and, and I think you're going to see some of those programs you talked about in, in schools, um, in the community, uh, and people are going to have more access. And that's, it's going to be... It's going to be great to see. You know, it's going to be uh, a relief, I think, for a lot of, you know, community organizations out there, recovery community organizations as well, and even the coalitions that are spreading across the United States. I, I know there's always conversation when we don't have enough support, and I think that this year is going to be a really big change uh, in that conversation. So I'm excited to see what happens yeah, in 2017, too. to be honest with me you. Too. <laughs> it is going to be an exciting year, and, and, and as you know, uh, Friday was my last day in the administration, so mm-hmm. I'm going to be starting a new chapter, which you know, I hope to continue to be a part of this exciting work, because I think we are, uh, you know, we were at a moment in time, we all took advantage of it, <laughs> and now there's, there's going to be an expectation that we deliver, right? Yeah. That, that Because Congress is not just going to appropriate a billion dollars and then step back and say, uh, do whatever you want. They, they're going to want to hold us accountable for it. They're going to want to make sure that money gets spent, um, that there's outcomes associated with that, you know, with, the, with those resources. Um, and, you know, and then we also need to be planning for that. That's two years of funding. What happens, you know, what happens in 2019 when that funding runs out? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be, is there going to be additional money? Are we going to be looking at what the outcomes were? We're going to be looking at uh, did we make a difference? And okay, what are what are the remaining gaps? Where do we need to go next? Um, so that's really important to be thinking about as well. And I think it's also important to keep on encouraging, you know, Congress to, you know, also um, be accountable to those factors, right? So you take a look at, you know, now President Donald Trump being in office, and you know, is addiction awareness really on the forefront of, you know, their office, and how can we continue to speak out in our communities and make sure that this is a constant conversation that is being brought up, being supported, and being, um, you know, helped um, all Absolutely. across the nation, and that is. I think in part like something that I very, very deeply care about because I would hate to see, you know, the momentum die down. I mean, you guys have been working so hard and everybody that's been involved all across the United States for the last uh, quite a few years. And we're getting to a point where finally we can address the stigma and we can really start extending new innovative services and new practices and really start to change a healthcare system and look at it from a public health standpoint and help save more lives than we ever have been able to in the past. Right, but you know what, Anthony? One of the great things is is that as a result of all that work, this is very bipartisan now. Mm-hmm. So, so that you know, regardless of who's in the White House or who sits in you know in the in the leadership uh, in Congress, um, the American people have really demanded that that action be taken. And uh, you know, it was amazing to watch uh, this past campaign season. Um, even though I wasn't thrilled with the outcome. I, it was amazing to watch candidates on both sides talk about this issue 
uh, in their stump speeches, um, in debates, on national television, uh, to hear our issues get talked about that way. We're not going to go back. And there are people, uh, there's a Faces and, Vo- uh, Faces and Voices of Recovery uh, is, is active up on the hill facing addiction, mm-hmm. young people in recovery. You have these groups who are going to continue to push forward. In fact, Facing Addiction um, announced that they were, were uh, doing an addiction recovery appointments project mm-hmm. uh, to try to place uh, people in the next administration, just like President Obama placed Michael Botticelli, myself, Tom Hill, in this administration. Where you know who are who are the next who are the next round of appointees who are going to come in and advise the next administration on these policies? Uh, we hope they're people in recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think we have a lot to offer. We think uh, that if you want if you want solutions uh, to the addiction crisis, that the recovery community's got some answers, and, and, and that you'd be wise to listen to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually talking to Facing Addiction last week, a couple of the staff members there, and we've had a, a few members, you know, Greg Williams and then also uh, Michael King on the interview and That's just right. talking about some of the work that they've been doing and, you know, being part of their ASH network, you know, here out of the Midwest and continue to support some of the efforts that they're doing. And I, I think it's great, you know, to take a look at, you know, individuals in recovery really really stepping it up big time and wanting to be in those roles and those positions. So truly phenomenal. And what about you, Anthony? <laughs> you Do know, have an announcement? <laughs> <laughs> you know, with, with that being said, you know, I, I have put things into consideration, but I think the yeah. most important uh, announcement, actually it's something that me and Kimber, um, you know, CEO of Spread Hope Like Fire, of course we used to work yeah. together in the past and we're continuing to do so this year um, with her question was, what are you doing next? <laughs> if you can, if you can say anything about it, I don't know. Well, well, actually, I can. I can talk about my process. Um, my process is is very recovery oriented. I'm allowing it to become revealed to me. I and it hasn't been revealed to me yet, so I can't reveal it to you. But the, <laughs> but the, but the, you know, I, I mentioned earlier going from the horizontal position to the vertical position, put one foot in front of the other. I'm having conversations with people. I'm trying to think about the things that I'm passionate about, the things I like doing, um, and where I can make the biggest difference. And I'm hoping that through that process of having conversations with people um, and talking about uh, what needs to be done next, uh, that something will be revealed to me uh, where I can really step forward and make a difference at. So, no, I don't have any big announcement uh, today, but uh, stay tuned. I'm sure it'll be great. I <laughs> yeah. am going to take some time off. I guarantee you yeah, that. Yeah, you should. You to, definitely to should. The batteries. <laughs> I, you you, you kind of caught me because a couple of weeks ago when you asked me to come on the show, um, I committed to this date <laughs> thinking, <laughs> thinking, oh, well, I'll, I'll be, it'll be my first official day out of, out of work. I actually need something I need something to do. I need something to do. (laughs) (laughs) And this has been great. It's been a wonderful conversation. It's really uh, re-energized me uh, in a way. But but the fact fact is, um, you know, i got to take some time off, and I have to take care of myself. You know, I think a lot of times in the recovery movement, we're all going a million miles a minute, right? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, then we forget about, like, these really important self-care type things that we're supposed to do. You know, like doing our, like not just like taking care of ourselves physically, mentally, and spiritually, but like cleaning my house and yeah, doing my laundry right. and, and, and 
paying my bills. I have I so much laundry just sitting around right now that's just in piles. Like I haven't put it away. It's been there probably for the last like two weeks. And uh, yeah. self care is is my mantra this year. It's just look, I could work probably every day, all day and be okay yep. with it. And I love it. I love the work that yep. I do. It's my purpose. It's what I've been given. And I love being on the mic. I love doing the advocacy. I love working with youth. Right. I love it all. But then it's like, okay, well, uh, we're also fighting this huge epidemic. We're fighting these really hard things. And it's going to take many, many years. And it's going to take a lot of time and strategy and all those things. And I'm not going to be able to get it done on a Tuesday, not just slow this Tuesday. And steady it's and slow and steady, right? <laughs> and I think <laughs> you told me that in Denver. It's just, you know, yeah. those small moments. And, you know, so I started doing like a reflective journal. You know, I'm listening yeah. to a lot of Tim Ferriss's stuff on, you know, productivity and actually taking like work-life balance and putting it into play. And it's been, it's been, I did uh, the reflective journal for like the last two weeks and really looking at, uh, you know, what am I uh, grateful for, right? And what yeah. are some words of uh, affirmation and yeah. what uh, was awesome today? And just focusing on those highlights, really easy. I do it on Evernote, really quick. And you know what? I look back and I'm like, wow. This is actually pretty awesome. Like, yeah, right, right, right. My life is actually pretty cool. And I realized, like, also, like, regardless of the struggles, like, my dad's going through, like I mentioned, there's really cool things. Like, oh, my son did this today. Or my daughter yeah. did this today. Or I yeah. put away that laundry. Like, I'll mark stuff yeah. down like that. I mean, not recently, but you get it. Um, work-life balance, man. It's And, and well, pre-planning. You better pre-plan some breaks. That's I hear that's yeah, key. You have to do it. Well, I'm used to putting stuff on my calendar like, you know, I have to be at this meeting, you know, on the hill, or I have to be, you know, I have to speak at this conference, or I have to do, you know, meet with the SAMHSA staff on a particular topic or the Surgeon General's office. And now I'm putting stuff on my calendar like I got to, like, wake up in the morning and brush my teeth. I got <laughs> to ex exercise. I added a, oh, this is really important. You talked about uh, reflective journaling. I'm do I added meditation. I've always... I've not been practicing my 11th step in the way I wish I could. So I started a meditation uh, this morning, and uh, it was called Behold the Abundance. I was, it was perfect. I was nice. thinking about how abundant my life really has become as a result of this journey over the last 13 and a half years, uh, to think of where I came from and where I am today. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, yesterday I was out with uh, a friend of mine in recovery. We walking through Union Station and uh, there's a bunch of shops in Union Station. There's a papyrus shop, you know, the card shop. Yeah. Am I saying that right, papyrus? I think it's I think so. I think so. Yeah. And uh, I bought myself a journal. Yes. Guess what, it says? Guess what it says on the front? Life begins at the end of your comfort zone. That's what it says uh, on my journal. So I think that's a perfect way to segue into the next chapter of my life, uh, to start thinking about, all right, what is my comfort zone? Where does Where is the end? And let's... Uh, Let's use that as the starting point for the next chapter. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. It kind of reminds me of some things. It's like, I'm going to go about this life uh, forward in this year to try to be fearless, right? To, mm-hmm. you know, just just face that fear. And usually that's that comfort zone or overcoming something that you never thought was possible. Like, I'm going to take this step forward in this radical way. That's going to be good for me, right? And um, But a lot of times that's scary, man. Like, for me, like, oh, I think about, think back, like, uh, getting my first job in recovery or sharing my story for the first time or, you know, having a 13-year-old, 11-year-old at home, how challenging that can be, you know, and, and just moving forward and, and facing some of those fears um, this year. 
work-life balance, and I am fearless. That's that's what I'm holding on to right now. <laughs> I, I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I may I may steal some of that from you. Is that hey. in, in recovery? That's the thing, right? We gotta we gotta help each other. And uh, you know the they they have that, uh, that there's another a famous quote something about um, you know imitation is the finest form of flattery. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna try to look around at what what the people I admire and respect. Uh, on this journey are doing and i'm going to i'm going to take take from from those pieces uh lessons and things that i can implement in my own journey that's awesome i have one more uh two two things i got for you and i don't know if you already yeah. followed this um tools of titans is uh, a great book of like habits and practices and tools of like uh, leaders from all across the country it's more of an entrepreneurial book but it's like huge i just got it in the mail the other day uh, i'm gonna check it out for like that work-life balance and just practicing the best way to uh, put in a smarter attitude of work versus just a lot right work yeah. work smarter not harder kind of thing um, but it also yeah. talks about just like life and like good practices in your life and then also the meditation app headspace don't know if you've checked it out okay. maybe i'll send you an invite it's really cool the most popular meditation app in the biz and i'm going to start using it this week i've i've heard of the app but i haven't downloaded it yet so the invitation would be great and uh, i have not heard of that book yet but i will check that out as well sounds sounds like an amazing uh way to to organize your thoughts and get prepared for trying to face those fears. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for being on the show. I can't thank you enough. I'm hoping um, we'll cross paths sooner than later. Actually, I'll be texting you tomorrow when I'm in Washington, D.C. Great. But other than that, is there anything you want to say to our audience before you uh, drop the mic? <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. I No, I just want to say uh, you know, to you, thank you for this opportunity to come on and talk today. Uh, to the audience, thank you for all the support uh, and friendship and, you know, uh, great advice that I've gotten uh, from the entire recovery community over the last two and a half years. Um, I came into this job uh, with a real uh, passion for the work that we did. And then on day one, you know, I had, and, and throughout my time at SAMHSA, I had these mini crises of confidence where I would think I wasn't good enough or I didn't, I wasn't smart enough or I didn't know uh, the best way forward and people put their arm around me and they supported me and got me through those moments and, and those times and as a result I think we accomplished some amazing things uh, for our country and for people uh, who are suffering uh, with this disease um, so that they can find recovery just like you and I have mm. and a great journey that's awesome well thank you so much for that and thank you again for being on the show we'll cross paths in the near future thank you for all your work and we definitely love everything that we've been able to conversate about today and i know we'll keep the conversation going somewhere someplace sometime thank you so much thanks anthony be well all right take it easy
Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up, everyone? (laughs) I am having a blast here in the studio today. It is great to feel like I am getting healthy again. I've been sick for the last uh, few weeks, and I finally went to the doctor and said, help me. (laughs) Uh, But no, seriously, got some antibiotics. There is this wicked virus, bacteria infection. sounds super nasty and gross uh, throughout the Midwest. I think everybody is getting sick. doesn't help that I have children at home. Maybe they're bringing home some of those things from school. I don't know. Either way, for the last few weeks, I felt like a zombie. Seriously. I tired all the time. I still am kind of tired. Trying to catch up on sleep over this weekend did not go so well, but ultimately I can breathe again. I can um, feel like um, nobody is stomping on my face or on my head. So to be in the studio and to be able to be functioning and be excited about the work that we're doing and actually uh, make sense out of the words that I'm trying to say here, um, it's good to be back, guys. I'm looking forward to this year. I'm glad you guys are tuning in every single week. It is phenomenal to see more and more listeners every week that goes by. I know we've only been doing this for a short period of time. We're on episode 13 now. We had a huge interview with Tom Coderre, who used to work at SAMHSA, chief of staff over there at that national organization, which is doing truly phenomenal work. It was exciting to be able to talk to him about the U.S. Surgeon General's report. It was exciting to be able to look at, you know, not only his story recovery, but how he was able to identify how important it is that other individuals share their story recovery as well. Um, It's really cool to be able to sit back with these individuals and humbling, to to be honest with you. I I started this show and I thought, man, wouldn't it be great if this year I'm able to surround myself with all these awesome, amazing leaders, advocates, storytellers, speakers, educators, um, individuals that are, you know, working to influence policymakers, make a change in their community, serve their community in different ways, and really ultimately learn from them. And that's what I'm trying to do here is just compile all those conversations and give it back to my community, give it back to you. And each and every one of you can take different things out of it, whether it's uh, motivation or connecting with other resources or you know, learning how to even share your story. I would love to connect with people to do that. I think over the next year, I'm really going to focus on um, some of my leadership ability and teach people how to share their story on a localized level. I've done it quite a few times. We've done it on here. We've done it uh, locally, nationally, and also on stage quite a few times. I'm going to continue to do it over the next um, probably quite a few years, to be honest with you. And it is really cool to see how that's uniting communities and building relationships. So if anything, if somebody's out there and they're like, oh, man, I want to share my story. How do I do that? Well, it's your story, uh, first of all. As long as you focus on long-term recovery, I think you're going to be good, and it might be in a small arena at first. Maybe it's in front of just a friend. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's online, or maybe it's even your local community at your local support group. Uh, maybe you share your story with local media. Um, those things are awesome to do if you're ready for them and you will be absolutely blown away to see the difference that it makes everybody has a story and i we focus on this i think almost every single episode Um, i dream of a world where everybody is willing to like step up and talk about some of these things that we're talking on this radio show addiction and mental illness and all these different things like bullying and cutting and burning anxiety depression Every time I meet somebody, they're like, ah, I don't really want to talk about that, or I don't have a problem with that, or, you know, it's not my community, it's not my school, or, you know, how do I talk about that? What's if people judge me, or they think uh, I'm a bad person, or, you know, these kind of conversations come up, and, you know, what I'm finding is when you're able to talk to somebody and say, hey, you know, in general, <laughs> um, you know, I had some challenges in my life, and you'll be able to build that relatability, 
and you, but not really focus on all the negativity, but focus on how you overcame those challenges. That's the value people are looking for. You know, that story of redemption. How'd you get up? How did you, you know, take that step forward? What tools did you use? What habits did you create in your life? What kind of support did you get? How did that support work for you? You know, what did it feel like when you were able to ask for help and receive it? What does that help look like today versus in the beginning? Are there other things I can look at? What about well-being? You know, physical fitness, meditation. What about faith? What about service? What about, you know, making amends? What about these little things that we can do in our life to help um, move beyond some of the struggles we once had? And also, I think what's really cool is continue to face the struggles that we're naturally going to have as we walk through the arena of life, as um, some of us like to put it. I think it is really cool that I get this opportunity with you guys every single week. It's really helping me, and I just have to close it with this. It's, it is something that I uh, care about, and I hope you can hear that. When we started, we weren't exactly sure, you know, what is the exact reason for doing the show besides just general awareness. And I can see what it's turning into. You know, we'll be able to compile these resources, these conversations, address social topics, to engage communities, you know, more than we ever have been able to been able to do before. And also meet some phenomenal leaders and take that back into our community and you know help our community even more than we were able to do in the first place i i think over the next year we're going to see some really cool things in regards to uh, having conversations with people from all parts of the community addressing major social topics like sex trafficking or kidnapping or even looking at just the war on drugs and the drug trade also talking about uh, pop culture also talking to musicians athletes professionals in the field looking at you know, this from a preventative standpoint, looking at uh, public health, looking at um, encouraging policymakers to step up and have the conversation with us, uh, people in recovery, and to continue the momentum that we need to see in our communities. Um, there's a lot of different angles that we can go at it, but I, I truly believe that this recovery podcast is different than everybody else's that's out there. And there's some phenomenal ones out there. You know, the Sober Guy and Sober Life Radio and the Share Podcast. And if you just go to Sober Nation, um, you can check out the podcasts they have. They're just unbelievable things happening within the recovery movement. And it's just honored to be a part of it, guys. And that's all I'm really trying to say. Um, it is really cool that you're on this ride with me and supporting me and continuing to encourage me, even um, as I share difficult times on this radio station, just being open and honest in hopes that it helps somebody else. So thank you guys so much for coming in on the third episode of 2017 with Tom Coderre. Please check out the previous episodes. All kinds of great people. Like I mentioned, Greg Williams. We also have Gary Mendel. We have Ryan Hampton. We have Michael King. We have Mario from Generation Found. We also have our team, Douglas Darby and Nadine Moscovich. We have Bev Kelly Miller. We have the Rizal family. We have these awesome individuals. We have so many cool people coming up. We have Jesse Heffernan coming in to talk to us. He used to do the show early in the beginning. We also have Kimber, CEO of Spread Hope Like Fire. We have Irina coming in on the conversation from Choices and Recovery. This year and this first couple of months is truly going to be so cool, and I can't wait to share it with you. All right, thank you so much, guys. You take it easy. 